Hello and welcome to the 12th series of the DNV Talks Energy Podcast. I'm your host, Matthias Steck. In the first episode, we explored how the world's energy needs are changing, which was a great introduction to the overall theme of this series. The way in which the clean energy transition affects people and how they affect it. One of the ways in which industrial change affects people is when it impacts on their livelihoods. In this episode, we explore what the energy transition means for jobs and skills and how efforts are being made not only to protect existing jobs, but to create new ones in a clean energy future. We look in particular at Carbon Capture, Utilization and Storage, or CCUS, a relatively new industry which could help protect jobs in high emission industries, as well as creating new roles in the industry itself as it expands. I'm delighted to be joined by two special guests for this week's episode. Neri Askland is VP Energy Transition Solutions and Head of US Northeast Gas Option Project at the energy company Equinor. Equinor is pursuing an approach to make carbon capture and storage commercially viable in the decarbonized energy system of the future. And Warburg Lundegaard, CEO of Arca Carbon Capture. Arca has been instrumental in carbon capture technology development and is implementing projects globally to help companies decarbonize. With the help of my guests today, we'll explore how CCUS and innovative energy projects more broadly will contribute not only towards a stable employment market as the energy transition progresses, but a growing and exciting one. We hope you enjoy the episode. First of all, many thanks to both of you for joining me today. Um, for the benefit of our listeners, it would be great to start with an introduction of yourself your organization and your roles within them. Um, could I start with you, Valborg, and then Neri? Thank you very much, Matthias, and thank you so much for inviting me. So I'm the CEO of Arca Carbon Capture. I took on this position summer of 2020, but my background is a chemical engineer. I've been uh, with the Arca Group for uh, almost three uh, decades. I've been on a number of large field development projects and had various corporate positions. So when we started up our company in uh, August 2020, it was a pure play company and we were listed on the Oslo Stock Exchange. But even though we have a new company, our group is certainly not new. The Arca Group has a 180-year-long history and carbon capture, a history of around, well, more than 20 years. It actually started back in 1996 on the Norwegian continental shelf when Equinor stored CO2 on the shelf for first time in the world um, at the Sleipner field. And Arca delivered that Sleipner platform. Since then, we have developed the technology, the Arker Group, together with uh, Norwegian universities and research institutes. And today we have proprietary technology with unique HSE characteristics. So now, 18 months after the establishment of the Pure Play company, we are involved in several projects in Norway, Netherlands and UK. We deliver studies, feed, EPC and license project and aftermarket services. And we have offered an innovative carbon capture as a service model. It's a one-stop shop where our customers uh, just simply pay per ton CO2 captured. Our focus is on Northern Europe so far, uh, but we're searching, uh, certainly watching the global market and has a lot of interest right now looking at what's happening in North America. Very good. Many thanks, Valborg. Neri, what about you? Yeah, thank you, Matthias. And thank you for the invitation here today also to join you and Valborg uh, on this topic. My name is Neri Asklan and I'm responsible for a unit uh, in our international business area called Energy Transition Solutions. And I'm also heading our decarbonization initiatives in the US. 
And for us, we have a significant oil and gas production over the next decades. And as a company, need to find decarbonization solutions uh, to meet our net zero ambition. And our corporate strategic uh, objectives is really to focus on optimizing our oil and gas portfolio and grow renewable, as well develop new value chains in low carbon solutions. And uh, my focus is on decarbonization solution for mitigating our scope three emissions. And scope three emissions is the largest emission group linked to use of sold products, and it represents up to 90% of the total greenhouse gas emissions. Thank you very much for your introduction, both of you. I want to begin by looking at the broad picture, and I would like to ask both of you this question. When it comes to skills and employment, what will happen if large companies in hard-to-abate industries are not able to decarbonize? Maybe we begin with you, Neri, and then after that, Valborg. Okay. In my view, this comes down to corporate policies as well as government policy stimulating decarbonization. Forward-looking companies like Acker, Equinor, US Steel and other already see the direction we need to move. And we are putting our policies and strategy in place, but we still, that will not be enough. Hence, the important role of governments. Decarbonization is expensive, especially for hard-to-abate industry. And you see in Europe, US, Japan and so on, we see governments working policies and financial stimulus to support the decarbonization of its industry. And by that, we create a sustainable jobs as well as predictability for its industry who can sell green products. On the other side, so what happens for the export industry in countries where governments do not support decarbonization in financial incentives or other means? Their businesses, you can risk, will not be able to compete for the growing demand for green products. And actually, you could see gradually lose market share. So that's kind of the risk on that side. Thank you. Valborg, what is your view on this? Well, I certainly uh, support Neri. Companies must decarbonize and there are increased requirements to do so from countries, you know, and from companies' own target. From regulation, we have carbon taxes and tax credits. It's actually from the emitter's own market, like the cement producers, they are being requested, do you have green cement? And also the financial market is pushing to work de decarbonization. That we shouldn't forget employees. We see that employees, they really want to work uh, for companies with a clear purpose and that are driving the decarbonization. And that trend is getting stronger and stronger, in particular among young people. So I believe most companies can decarbonize. It varies a bit, you know, the way they can do it. Many companies start with energy optimization. Others look into replacing fossil fuel with renewables. And then, of course, there's carbon capture, utilization and storage. But what's important is that the companies have a credible plan to reduce emissions and establish sustainable business model. And in total, I would really say that for companies, it's a license to operate, to decarbonize, and it's to stay in business and to maintain the skills and employment. But we shouldn't also forget, you know, that it's not only a requirement, it's also an opportunity because there are employee opportunities, employment opportunities in the whole value chain, for instance, in carbon capture, utilization and storage, like in Acker Carbon Capture and Equinor. And when CCS is available, there is employment opportunity by establishing new businesses. Very good. Thanks, both of you. So in this discussion, we are going to talk about carbon capture, utilization and storage and its role in protecting jobs in heavy industries. But to start with, we need to really understand what CCUS is. Babo, could I ask you to give us a summary of how CCUS works and how it can be used to decarbonize industries? 
Yes, I'll do my best. So let's look at the CO2 emissions. Where do they come from? Well, they come from flue gas or exhaust from various industry segments. It could be like the waste to energy segment from gas power plants or cement industry. And the content of CO2 in the exhaust varies. In aquacarbon capture, we have post-combustion technology, which is, means that we can apply it to both existing and new industrial plants. It's very flexible. It covers CO2 concentrations of 2 to 25% in the exhaust and can capture up to 95% of the CO2. Our technology has a double-digit number of patents, including a secret recipe for our non-toxic biodegradable mixture of water and amine solvents to absorb the CO2. But now to the process itself. And that, you know, sometimes, you know, a process uh, seems a bit complex to many, but it's, I'll do it the simple way, the cartoon way. So this exhaust, including CO2, is rooted to an absorber, or you could call it a, a chimney, really, where the amine solvent is used to absorb the CO2. It means this amine solvent. So that on top of the chimney, the clean flue gas can be released. And then this rich amine solvent is routed to a desorber, another column, where uh, CO2 and the amine solution are separated. The amine solvent is routed back to the absorber to capture more CO2, like in a closed loop. And then you have uh, the CO2. The CO2 can be liquefied. It can be uh, transported on trucks, trains or ships for safe and permanent storage but it can also be utilized. And for our projects, uh, we have projects where uh, the CO2 is permanently stored. That's called CCS. But we also have a project in the Netherlands where the CO2 is captured from the waste to energy plant and it's utilized as a fertilizer in a greenhouse nearby. That is CCU. Robert, thanks for explaining this. Neri, I want to come to you now. What do you think about innovation such as CCUS? We just uh, got explained from Valborg but also maybe green hydrogen. Can those be drivers for job retention in heavy industries? Yeah, let me start a little bit overall context and that uh, hydrogen and CCUS is kind of proven technologies. However, they are capital intensive value chains. As you see in Northern Light, it's based, it has public funding as an important role in de-risking the projects. It's been important also for industry to show that we are willing to shoulder an appropriate level of risk ourselves. We are not simply asking for public handout. We have developed and mature technologies together with the industry over decades, and we are looking to collaborate with governments and other stakeholders on appropriate framework that facilitates deployment. Analysis shows that the world will produce as much gas in 2050 as it does today. The amount of workforce needed to decarbonize the gas business is enormous and will secure jobs for oil and gas industry for decades to come. The investments in decarbonization for heavy industries will also secure the jobs for these industry for the future and hydrogen users can select either blue or ultimately green hydrogen. To exemplify, for large cities, it is important to have an airport as part of their infrastructure. I think the same you will see for industry clusters in the future. They need a CO2 storage to be able to attract the future clean businesses and thereby protecting jobs. Equinor recently announced a partnership with US Steel to examine the potential for green hydrogen and CCS development in the tri-state region of Ohio, Pennsylvania and West Virginia. These are all states that witnessed an industrial decline over the past few decades. So what role can these new technologies play in protecting jobs there and reviving local economies? 
Ja, no, thank you, Mattias. Uh, what we see that uh, you know, we are serious about our ambition to net zero. And over a year ago, we started a project on how we could decarbonize our attractive gas production in the Appalachian Basin. It is one of our largest producing assets and has a very good long-term outlook. And we did our evaluation of customer, political landscape, CO2 storage options in the areas we have gas. And based on this, uh, we ended up that we see that the tri-state area, including Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia, is a good location for clean hydrogen hub. There is also a potential then to turn the Rust Belt into green, and it's an important industrial region in the U.S. with a guild workforce and an appetite for innovation that actually also create opportunities. In this area, U.S. steel is a cornerstone business that have an impressive industrial history. And most importantly, they also announced last year a net zero ambition. And through this, we kind of have a common ground to explore options and solutions for decarbonization. In terms of scale and potential, this is driven by the end user interest. We are engaging with several end users in the region to map the potential for them to decarbonize through use of blue hydrogen and CCS. And based on this, we foresee a phase development where we will have multiple reformers and end users in the all three states. We are, of course, also fortunate to pull on experience from other projects in our portfolio in this process that is important, like the Humber development in UK. And the last factor of course, also that is important when you work with these projects are the politic, public and political acceptance. It is important to engage with the communities to help them understand the vision and the potential and then work with them to ensure that the investments we do create a value and contribute to an equitable transition. So it's a great potential for a region like the tri-state. And uh, we heard about the decline, which means there was also unemployment. Do you have a forecast how many jobs could be protected or maybe even created through the U.S. Steel Partnership? Yes, yeah, so I would not quantify how many jobs will pro be protected by this as per se, but I can talk about the uh, size of this certain industries and importance uh, for this in that region. And the Tri-state region where Equinor is focusing has a large power generation business as well as a large industry, heavy industry, that employs a lot of the workforce in the region. And in Pennsylvania alone, the steel industry directly employs over 12,000 direct workers. And in the U.S. as a whole, the industry employs, employs over 70,000 people, leaving no doubt that this industry is extremely important uh, for them to decarbonize, to also to be able to stay competitive of their use. So the steel industry are meeting end users from their side again, car industry and so on, that demand green steel. So therefore, the transition is important for them. And the industries like the steel industry often are resided in communities that, where they are the single most important employer. Thanks, Neri, for these insights. And Valborg, turning again to you now. Over in Europe, we see CCUS clusters emerging. Can you tell us about those and any analysis that has been done to understand the potential impact such infrastructure will have on jobs? Yeah, the full CCUS value chain requires collaboration among policymakers, emitters, uh, carbon capture technology providers and transportation and storage providers. And there is no doubt that clusters will accelerate the development. There are some countries and regions that has taken uh, the lead on this, and UK is a good example. Emissions from Teesside and Humber uh, will be captured, transported and stored in East Coast Cluster, where uh, BP and Equinor are key players in that development. 
here we are talking about storage of up to 27 million ton per year of CO2 by 2035. And this can provide up to 25,000 jobs until 2050. Arco Carbon Capture, we are involved in the T-Side development through Net Zero T-Side Power Project. It's the feed phase right now. It will be the world's first commercial scale gas-powered power station with carbon capture and storage. We are capturing 2 million tons per year of CO2. And we're working here in close collaboration with Arc Solutions, Siemens Energy and Doosan Babcock. Also, another example from the UK is a key customer of ours, Viridor. They are looking at decarbonizing uh, the waste to energy segment. They have a number of waste to energy incinerators around UK, and we have entered into uh, an MOU uh, to provide five of our modular carbon capture units uh, to them by 2030. And they're also planning to implement carbon capture onto other plants, larger plants, uh, before 2030. In total, this is a capacity of 1.5 million ton per year of CO2. Investments in 1 billion pound, 1,000 construction jobs and 180 scale green jobs. And UK is one example. We see similar cluster establishment in Netherlands, Bel Belgium and Germany. Right, and Arca Carbon Capture is also involved in the first CCS project on a cement plant. Can you tell us a bit more about this and what skills will the company be able to retain as a result? Yeah, we have been awarded by Heidelberg Cement Norsem, a project in Norway, the first carbon capture plant on a cement facility in the world at the Breivik cement facility. The capacity for this plant will be 400,000 tonnes per year, and it will have superior heat integration with the existing cement facility. There was excess heat available at the plant. We started the EPC contract in January last year, and where all key milestones have been met, and we've placed all major purchase orders. So uh, this summer, we're going to start on-site work, but the main installation work will be in 2023. So the plant will be in operation in 2024 as part of a full CCS value chain uh, development in Norway called Longship, which is the greatest climate project in Norwegian industry ever. Cement is a, a special sector. It represents 6 to 7% of global emissions. The emission comes from the cement process itself. So the only way to remove CO2 completely is to implement CCS. And therefore, experience from Breivik is crucial to decarbonize the cement sector. And as a company, since we were awarded that contract, you know, we have been contacted by specialists from all over the world. Uh, we have more than tripled number of employees. We've had thousands of applications. Currently, we have 15 uh, different nationalities in our company. And we will continue to work with universities and research institutes to further improve carbon capture solutions. Many thanks to both of you to give us insights in these really promising projects. We have seen that in renewables at the beginning, that was more a research and development case, but not financially viable. And then only after the LCOE came down, it really rapidly increased. So is the CCUS industry expanding quickly enough or may certain industries and jobs remain at risk if CCUS is not yet a viable solution for them? I would never say that the industry is accelerating fast enough because we, we need to act now. We cannot wait till the end of the decade. However, a lot is happening. According to IEA, since last year, the number of projects in operation and development more than doubled. A number of facilities in early stage more than tripled just in a year. 
if you look again at IEA to reach net zero, you need to capture 1.7 billion tonne of CO2 by 2030 and 7.6 billion tonne of CO2 by 2050. So to put this in another way, the CC industry could grow to similar size of natural gas today. So I believe that more and more companies see that they need uh, to decarbonize. But to most, it's a question of cost and benefits. Then in Europe, uh, we have the EUA or the EU ETS. The price for this has increased tremendously. Last year, we almost reached 100 euro per ton of, of CO2 now a couple of weeks ago. We see that now it's more costly to continue to pollute than to curb emissions. And that's really the whole point of the system. So are industries at risk? I said yes, absolutely, if they do not act fast enough. Because my concern is that many companies believe that they can meet the targets for 2030 if they wait till 2029. But it's certainly too late. And that's why, you know, we are pushing all we can. And there are a lot of good cooperation among various stakeholders to drive this industry further. We have focused our discussion today on how existing labor markets can continue to be viable while rapid decarbonization occurs. But I'm also keen to look ahead and ask you about how CCUS will create a need for new skills. So as our final question today, can I ask you both what transferable skills are needed for the rapid development of CCUS and which existing industries are best placed to provide them? Let's start with Neri and then Warburg. Okay. Thank you, Matthias. So internally in Equino, we are utilizing the capabilities and workforce from oil and gas offshore development towards developing offshore wind farms and also our uh, solar farms. The same happen uh, with the associated construction and installation. It is the same workforce as oil and gas. And we are also increasing the shift of our workforce from oil and gas exploration towards low carbon solutions like hydrogen, ammonia, carbon capture, storage and transport. The geologist, he's looking for uh, storage of, for CO2 rather than oil and gas. So the investments we are doing in Northern Light will require a huge workforce in the construction period and also a smaller steady workforce in the operations. And this is for all these projects that there is a lot of the same competences that will be needed and utilized. So I'm kind of optimistic about the energy transition and the amount of jobs it will represent going forward. And I think the biggest opportunity for policymakers is to really show a clear path for uh, supporting investments and job creating and protecting the communities they are in. Thank you, Neri. Babok, what is your take on this? Yeah, like for Neri, it's also for me easy to start with experience from oil and gas because that's my background, you know, for three decades. And there are a lot of advantages as already highlighted. And for us, for carbon capture plant, I would say design solutions, designing light, compact, modularized and so on, like we do for offshore installation, it's very, very valuable. But it shouldn't be underestimated that there are also disadvantages. You know, we come from a background with bespoke design, uh, not standard solution fitted for mass production principles and quite stringent specification due to hydrocarbons. So in addition to oil and gas, you know, where the competence is certainly valuable, we have to look from other industries as well. Process industry, infrastructure project experience and from startups. 
I believe digitalization capability will be extremely important for this industry going forward. We are lucky to have some in-house companies in Arker that we work closely with, in addition to external partners. And finally, we have to work with schools and universities so that their programs are attractive to students who want to work with decarbonization and also attractive to the industry. We have to make sure that they see the need to shift their programs right now to meet the demand for the future. Many thanks to both of you, Neri and Vaborg, for your time today. It's been a pleasure talking to you and especially thank you for your very interesting insights you provided. Thank you very much, Matthias. Thank you. It was a privilege to hear first-hand insight from our guests today on exactly how clean energy innovations are protecting people's livelihoods. We also heard a lot of optimism there about how the growth of technologies like CCUS and green hydrogen will create a need for new skills and create jobs. Join us next week as we focus in more detail on transferring existing skills in support of decarbonization. To hear more podcasts in the series, please visit dnv.com slash talksenergy.